I want to talk to you today about living to be generous. Living to be generous. And uh, uh, we're going to look at Luke 10, but let me read two verses from you, for you. Proverbs eleven twenty five. Let me give you the Howard perversion. A stingy person will prosper. A what kind? I can't hear you. I hear him over there. That's the Willie corner. We can hear him over there. You guys need to catch up. A generous person will prosper. I ask you to ask yourself, are you a generous person? Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Second of all, are you a refreshing kind of person? I mean, do you bring a lifting up? Do you change the climate for good? Proverbs 19.17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Do you think God can pay you back? Not the poor man. Not the poor man. But whoever lends to the poor or helps the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Jesus is asked by a brilliant lawyer who is steeped in the uh, Torah and the law uh, in Luke chapter 10. We'll pick up verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now it sort of sounds like you can earn your salvation, doesn't it? The issue is Jesus has never known anybody that lived this way. No one's ever perfectly loved God with all their heart. We have moments, moments. Uh, and to love our neighbor, now watch this. But he, the lawyer, the Jewish lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied. Now, see, I would have wanted to give you a theological statement, but Jesus said, Let me tell you a story. Kind of like Abraham Lincoln. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, which would be a very religious man, a man steeped in the teachings of the Old Testament. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, another very religious man, very educated, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
or mercy. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days worth of wages, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. It is an amazing, amazing, brilliant story because the hero should have been a Jewish fellow countryman rescued me. Two Jews go by the road and we're assuming in the story a Jew was the one robbed and beat up. Three Jews and one racially hated Samaritan. They hated their race and they hated their religion. Samaritans were half-breeds. The Assyrians mixed their people with the Jews to break down racial distinction. So the Jews saw it as genocide. You're trying to eliminate the distinctiveness of our Jewishness, so you turned us into Samaritans. We hate you for that. And we hate your religion because you say Mount Gerizim is where you ought to go to worship. Uh, you only accept the first five books of Moses. Uh, you don't believe in angels. You don't believe in the rest. You're heretics. You're apostate. We have nothing to do with you. You're despised racial people, a despised religious people, and what in the world is a Samaritan even doing in this story? So let's uh, take a little journey here. Four things I want us to look at. Who is my neighbor? That's, that's the question. Who is my neighbor? Two, where should I give my resources? Where should I give my resources? Three, three biblical reasons for poverty. And it's interesting, if you ask liberals and conservatives, they would have a world of difference in why people are poor. But the Bible gave three, three reasons. And we'll look at those. And then finally, if we have the time, first service, I went over time. The clock went out, and it worked to my advantage. I just kept going. They told me later, so pray for the service that you just let. They, they're healing up from a long sermon. <laughs> then I want to talk about uh, where does mercy and social work fit into evangelism? Should they mix? If you grew up like me, you were never taught a social conscience or a social justice. Never thought of it. I never knew racism existed until I studied and read the biography of Luther King, Martin Luther King. I didn't know that. I grew up in Richmond. I was just hoping I could outrun my black friend or I didn't get beat up. Uh, we never heard of racism. 
I didn't know. I didn't know that you could be suppressed because of the pigmentation of your skin. That doesn't happen in America, right? Well, the lawyer wanted to justify himself, and uh, the first thing we ought to ask, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And I think he just blows all the sockets for this man. Uh, you know, when you're being helped by somebody, you don't care what color they are. Anybody been in the hospital? When the only help is on the other end of that buzzer. I've been there. And I had a back surgery. I was miserable. And I was pushing the buzzer. I couldn't get any help because a bunch of young nurses and them, it was late at night. That's the worst shift, if you know, being in the hospital. You, you hate that night shift because you get forgotten. And they were back there courting each other, it seemed like. But the, uh, but the next morning, they moved me to the orthopedic department where Priscilla, a black nurse, worked in orthopedic for years. I want to tell you, she was an angel sent from God. We sent Christmas cards to each other, and every time I'm in Oakland, I go to orthopedic department, and I look up Priscilla, and we hug. I said, honey, you answered the bell. <laughs> you answered the bell. And I don't care where you're from. You could have been from Mars. You look good to me, honey. <laughs> you look good. And so Jesus tells this story. You don't care what they are when you're beat up, when you're bleeding, when you're suffering. Who cares? By the way, what, what, what ethnicity? Do you want help or not? Who is my neighbor? Uh, I think most people grow up with conditional, not unconditional mercy. You have a circle in your mind of who you will help and who you will not help. Uh, you don't want to waste your money on somebody going to hell, do you? Do you? I mean, you don't want to feed poor folks don't love Jesus. Are you well, uh, let me uh, ask you some questions that Benjamin Moorfield put out. Talk about conditional mercy, unconditional mercy. Who qualifies? This is how we do people. Because we got this little money, whatever resources, and, and you see all kinds of needs. And you categorize who, who's worthy and who's not. I, I think we automatically do that. Uh, listen to this. Why should I feed a poor man who does not believe like me nor represent anything I do? Why, why should I help him? I don't owe him anything. I earn my money. I ain't giving it to somebody that we don't have any same beliefs. I can't waste my money. Listen to what Warfield says. Some people say, my money is my own. Jesus could have said, my blood is my own. Then where would we be? Uh, objection. The poor are undeserving. Answer. Christ could have said, they are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these 
I'll give my life for good angels and for good people, but not for hell-deserving sinners. Where would we be? It's all objection. The poor may abuse it. Oh, I've seen people do like, oh, man, if I give to that panhandler $5, he's like to go buy some Thunderbird. That's cheap wine. You know, he, he can go, you didn't think I knew that, did you? Yeah. I, oh, they, they might go, uh, who knows? They may, you know, spend. So you want to give them money and give them the instruction where they can spend it. Now, you will go to McDonald's, won't you? The poor may abuse it. Christ could have said with far greater truth, Christ knew that billions of people would trample over his blood, despise his name, and he still died for the world. Was he a fool to die for people who would not trust him? Warfield goes on. He gave his own blood for those who would never trust him. Oh, my dear Christian, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and he wants you to be. It is not your money I want, it's in his sermon, but your happiness. Remember this, that Christ said it's more blessed to give than to receive. I would that you would be happy. Imitate me, give. We ask ourselves, was Christ merciful to anyone that did not believe in him? Did he ever feed anybody that never trusted him. He could feed 5,000 and only 120 showed up in the upper room. Not too great in numbers of success. Billy Graham had won more than Christ did. Did he die for them? Did he preach the gospel to the poor? Poor economically. Don't use that spirit. That's a cop out. Blessed are the poor not in spirit. They inserted that. Blessed are the poor. Don't say just that's in my spirit. It doesn't mean that. It means economics. The poor. I mean, when Christ was a homeless man, never owned any property. The only thing he ever owned was the garment his mother sewed for him. A failure economically. He said, if you hang out with me, you won't know where to sleep tonight. If you hang out with me, I've got to rob the mouth of fish to pay my taxes. You just got to know which fish to catch. Um, who should you give to? Let's say, let's be discerning in how we use money. First of all, you should give to God. Honor God. Okay. Uh, one thing about it, God doesn't have an address. I'll let you think on that. That's heavy. Some of you keep saying, well, I'm mailing it to heaven. Well, honey, you, you, he doesn't have an address up there. There's something on earth you've got to give it to. Where is he building his kingdom on the earth? Is God doing anything on the earth that you can give finances to help to support his kingdom, his cause? Is, 
I would think the people called by his name be good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith, Galatians 6, 9. So you ought to start with giving, I would think, to a local church. Some people get a burden for everything but the local church. You think we're a fat cat church. We are not. We fix a budget for, let's say, $3 million this year. Uh, we'll give 125000 on an average to missions. We give 60000 on an average to Agape Fund. We're giving, we committed a million four for our stewardship of the building oversight. But we pay for things like sewer pumps. Anybody got a burden for that? <laughs> Designate on the offering envelope, sewer pump fund. Hey, they both go out. They both go out. Ron Hughes says, hey, uh, our pumps just went out. What do we do? I said, please replace them. <laughs> Quick, lights fall over. They're rusting out in our parking lot. Lights go over. All kinds of stuff. You, you care less about it. But somebody does. Somebody underwrites it. So I think in your giving, think about God, his work. Two, take care of your family. 1 Timothy 5.8 said, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel. Take care of your children, your wife. I mean, you, you, you'll owe that. And many of you younger uh, couples that have children and the liquid money is, is uh, short on short supply, uh, feel good about taking care of your family. Feel good, this high rent, high cost of everything. Is there anybody in this place over 70? Thank you for admitting that. <laughs> well, I have sticker shock on everything I buy. I say, how much? And Carolyn keeps saying, you're getting old, which is real comforting. She says, you're getting, I mean, I've got books in my library I paid five bucks for, they go for 30. I said, this is ridiculous. I got that for five. What year? Well, it's 1963. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I said, South Carolina gas is $1.79. Out here, $4. I remember coffee at a quarter a cup. Anybody remember a quarter? I mean, that was outrageous. That was inflation. I mean, pr prices, take care of your family. Do that. Don't pay credit interest. Get off of credit cards. They will, the banks will rob you and your family. Owe no man anything except the debt of love. Romans 13, 8. Don't let Macy's take your money. I got a Macy's card at 29% a month. If I just decide I want to carry it on credit. Isn't that wonderful? Your friendly merchant, you dirty blow down, 29% interest. No. Uh, support God's family, the church. Help God's family. Be good. Uh, here, here's some things you ought to support outside of God's family and outside of your family. You ought to support the government. Go ahead, pray about it. <laughs> I'll go into the Holy of Holies for you. 
It is right to pay taxes. It is right to pay taxes. Now, as much as they want in this state, that's another matter. But anyway, it's right. Pay your taxes to the king, Romans 13. And don't, don't grouse all the time. Be thankful to God. You've got a country that protects you, that's got an army that protects you, that's got a postal system that maintains your roads, your lights, your infrastructure, police, fire. We ought to be thankful for how much we get for what we pay. Could I hear the Democrats first, <laughs> then the Republicans? You can't, yes, I'll pay my taxes with joy. But get a good CPA, save all you can. Amen? Uh, you ought to help your neighbor, your neighbor. Not all men are my brothers, but every man is my neighbor. Not everybody's my brother, but everybody's my neighbor. Because my neighbor is someone I come upon, God puts him on my path, that they have a need I'm able to meet. You see, if you're a poor boy all the time, uh, you know, you, you can't meet it. That's why we want you to prosper. I think God wants you to prosper. He said, I want you to work, Colossians 3, because it glorifies me. And then he says in Ephesians 4.29, every man ought to stop being a thief. And he says that. And he ought to work. Now, notice why he should work. So he can retire early. He should work that he might meet the needs of those who are in need. One of the reasons God gives you prosperity is to help people that don't have it. Ephesians 4.29, I believe that's in the New Testament. <laughs> Quit stealing and start working that you might share it with people in need. But instead, I hear some people, hey, that money's ours. I need, I'm not working that I could share. I'm holding on to it. Well, it will rot in your hands. It will go away. Because God gives us wealth intentionally. We ought to help strangers. And that doesn't mean strange-acting people. I mean, I'm not, we wouldn't help each other, maybe. Uh, Strangers. It usually meant aliens, immigrants. Because God told Israel uh, in Leviticus 19, when immigrants come in your country, uh, Gentiles, uh, and we see this in the Ruth, book of Ruth and Naomi, and here comes Ruth the Moabitess, goes back to her mother-in-law's hometown of Bethlehem, and uh, she's working in the fields, and they know she's not a Jewish girl, uh, but according to the law, you had to leave your corners of your fields unharvested so that the Gentile immigrants in your country could live off of the corners. You couldn't charge a fellow Jew tax money or interest, but you could charge the Gentile. They did allow that. It was in the law. You, you can charge them interest, but not your brother, not a fellow Jew. But he said, don't forget you were slaves for 400 years. You know what it is to be an immigrant in another country and be unfairly treated. 
not paid your wages, your children being commanded to be killed. So he says, Israel, Gentiles can come into your land. They can work. They've got to abide by the law of the land. Uh, but be good. Be good to the alien. Be good to them. Don't, don't run over them because they're, they're immigrants or aliens in that land. It's an amazing thing. Be good to your enemies. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what different are you than the Gentiles? Have you ever loved an enemy? They're the hardest. It's not easy. You remember that proverb said, uh, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you shall heap coals of fire upon his head. I'm not quite sure what that means. Some take it, it's a blessing because they needed coals to start their fires early in the day. So something, you're giving them a head start on the fire. I always took it, you'll give them a good burning. Now, I mean, you heap coals on my head, honey, I, that's not a blessing. So I don't know quite. It's a difficult proverb, but at least he said, be good to those who despitefully use you. Be good. Be good. Am I wrong to give or help an enemy? Jesus said I'm not. The end of Matthew 5, last three verses. He said, your father's good to his enemies. I can't hear you out there because you're convicted. You ought to be. I am. I'm very convicted about this whole message because I, I was not taught a social concern. I always felt our family was so poor we didn't have time to help many others when they're growing up. We're blatantly callous to the social agenda. Let the government do it. Or, here's a favorite one, let the church do it. And my brother David used to always say, people would say, let the church do it. One day I remember him telling a guy, I want you to meet the church. It's me. That's some fun over here. I'm the church. Me. All right, God be fun to take care of it. I always uh, I tell the story. It's so convicting to me, and, and I was thoroughly chastened, rebuked for it. But I told the story that when we were over in the other building one day, there was Donna, Hazel, maybe Virginia. Uh, we may have had some other staff, but one day a uh, Latino woman came to the office, spoke broken English, and got through the secretaries, and they finally got her back to me, which I didn't normally see people that I didn't know. They, they bring her in the room, and uh, she's there. She's pretty emotional. And I, and I said, what's your problem? What, what, what can we do for you? She told the story that she, uh, her mother was coming from Central America, going to be with them. She was thrilled went to the store to buy. She would have put on a, a feast for Mama. Uh, 
and while at the store, somebody stole her purse, uh, so she had no money. She was rather destitute. She comes in, she's crying. All I wanted to do is treat my mom to a great feast. I just wanted to be good to my mother. And telling her, and I felt like she's sincere. Uh, you just tell. And so as she kept telling her story, and she said, is there any possibility I can get any help from the church? Uh, would they, they, she didn't go to our church. And I said, well, we have a form, an agape form, that you fill out and you tell the need, and then we turn it over to some of our deacons and some of our brothers, uh, and they'll go over that and see if it's legitimate and, and all like that. And so she's there. She's, as it were, a helpless, robbed woman. I put her about 50. And, uh, and she says, uh, how soon would I know that? I said, well, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. I said, that, they have to meet. And, and then they'll give you an answer if they would be able to help you. Well, what can she do? She didn't go to this church. She didn't know any of us. She's just been robbed. She's in dire straits. So I said, well, senora, I know Spanish. Uh, I said, uh, you don't seem impressed. <laughs> I mean, the accent might not be right, but, you know. Uh, I, said, I took her hand, and I started praying for her mother who's coming up. I see her the next day, and she's distraught. I said, let's just pray about it. I start praying. I'm praying for her with great earnestness. Lord, move the deacons to help her. Move Valley Bible to help her. Move the church to do something. This dear woman is deserving of help. And the Lord, in a soft, tender voice, said, Bozo sheep. That's me. You've got an agape fund in your wallet. Your brother taught you to hide money from your wife in your wallet. You don't, you, man, don't keep your money all out there. She'll think she can shop as long as she can see green. You, you hide it. You hide it. I gave you the tip of your life. And so, you know, I learned to put a $100 bill back just in case she wanted another meal. And so I had it, and the Lord said, she doesn't need to see the agape fund. She didn't need to meet with the deacon. I sent it to the person that could meet her need. You're the agape fund. I, I put that need in your path for you to meet. Well, no, 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 let's, let's have the deacon sit. No, 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 you skin flint, you stingy, non-generous attitude man. And I'll never forget this. Once the money was put in her hand, then she made me go broke on Kleenex. Just keep, keep. She's so broken. You think it gave her a million bucks. How could you get more joy 
using a hundred dollar bill and seeing a little Latino woman have the money to feed her mother. There's no greater joy. You'll be your happiest when you're giving. You'll stay miserable if you don't give. Yeah, that's right. So, there's three reasons why people are poor according to the Bible. Three biblical reasons. Number one, oppression or injustice. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for poor, ani, A-N-I, literally meant wrongfully dispossessed, unfair treatment by dictators, invaders, enemies, unfair practices, uh, keeping the poor poor, not paying them fair wages. James 5 said, in the day of the Lord coming, he is going to hold every unjust employer in judgment that you withheld the wages due the labor. James 5, 1 through 4. God's not concerned about, God isn't concerned about whether you pay a man fair wage. Yes, he is. See, you're perpetuating poverty when you won't pay him right. You're perpetuating it. What do you do if our country came under a Hitler? It came under an invader. And all of a sudden, all your wealth is seized, like all over Germany and Europe. The Jews lost their money because the Jews were the, the ones we hate. They're the ones we've got to get rid of. We'll take their art. We'll take their banks. We'll take their education. We've got to get rid of them. And here they're fleeing in, in bags. If they didn't die in Auschwitz, they fled with one bag and do good to get to another country. Don't say they're lazy. They're oppressed. But as Americans get independent and sometimes cocky, oh, that won't ever be us. You have no guarantee. We're no better than them. Though we think we are. Second reason was natural disaster which is really divine disaster. If God decides to give us the big earthquake on the West Coast and your house is raised to the ground, or if you're living in Paradise, California, and the fires sweep through, uh, or you're living in Houston and you're in a flood with water up to 10 feet on the streets of Houston, or if you're living through Katrina in New Orleans, what do you do? Do you start calling them poor boys, too lazy to work? No. What do you do when famine comes? You need a brother Joseph to tell the Pharaoh how to feed all the starving people in Egypt. He had an economic plan how to make it through that seven-year famine. Should we be concerned that federal workers haven't been paid for two weeks? Would it be wrong for us to feed them? No. See, we usually don't get socially involved. It's, that's not my problem. Let the government take care of it. See, we take care of widows. Acts 6 and 1 Timothy said, we didn't go to the government for our widows. Listen to what Julian, 
An emperor of Rome said in 361, he said in a letter to a pagan priest, these Christians are succeeding. It is disgraceful that while the impious Galileans, Christians, support both their own poor and ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. These Christians are outdoing us. They start hospitals. They take care of lepers. They feed the poor. They're taking care of more in the Roman Empire than the Roman Senate is taking care of. And the world saw they're doing their good works and we're going to glorify their Father in heaven whether we want to or not. They see the good works. You know, do the unsaved see you doing any good works that benefit them? Um, the third reason people were poor was personal sin, lazy, uh, lack of self-discipline, uh, ignorance, uh, didn't know how to manage. Had a, a black brother in Berkeley who told a friend of mine one time, he said, it's not that my people are lazy. He said, we work, we work hard. But he said, most of us were never taught how to handle money. This is back in the early 70s. So he said, we either drove it or we wore it. We had the best cars, and we dressed the best as anybody in town. And he said, but nobody told us about investing. Nobody told us about this. We weren't trained. How many of you were taught how to handle money by your parents? One, two, three. I want to tell you, the Howard House didn't know how to manage money. I learned the most from my brother, and I asked him where he learned. He said, being broke. <laughs> yeah, he said, it helps when you live in the back of your car to figure out your checkbook. If you want to be broke, you'll learn real quick how to handle money. See? So you can't be too critical of the poor when you've been there. When you've been there. So some people are just lazy. They don't know how to handle money. They don't know how to handle life. So should we curse them? You're not worthy of my help. Because you don't know how to manage it. They may not. That's a risk you may take. Uh, I'm going to end with something that is uh, a real touchy uh, subject. Uh, which of these do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? He simply said, the one who showed mercy. Here's an issue among evangelicals. Where does mercy ministries and evangelism go together? And by mercy, let's say deed ministry, do good works. I say in our church when we used to have the Rodale, the Sean barbecue thing, the big thing about that was a poor white boy who grew up with nothing, he wanted to be good to Rodale, and let's feed as many as we can. What a stupid, crazy idea. Sounds like Jesus. Would Jesus do it? Because some of us grew up, all we owe him is the gospel. You're going to hell if you don't believe what I just told you. Well, I don't believe it. Well, forget you. I'm going to the next. 
Would it be all right? He says, I noticed your kids had no shoes and I noticed no food. Would it be all right if my wife and I bought you the evening meal? Though you don't buy the gospel, we, would that be a waste? <laughs> One of our brothers called me, told me about a girl had twins in South Richmond. Who knows? I don't know the age. But would it be right to help this girl? She, who knows if the children are getting care? Who knows if she can buy diapers? You know, poor girls that have babies out of wedlock, especially twins, they don't really deserve your help, right? Would Jesus buy diapers? Let's see, you, some of you are not amen, because you don't know squat about social concern. We weren't taught it. We were taught, you better know the book of Daniel. Better know the book of Romans. But we never taught, it's none of my business what the world does. Because everything they're getting, they deserve. As though we didn't. So here's five views of social concern and evangelism. Here they are. Mercy and social justice is the only purpose for the church. This is the liberal agenda. Just social action. Social action. And they're out there. They're known for that. No gospel, usually, just social action. Two, social concern is the most important aspect of our mission to the world. And evangelism is next, but it's secondary. Let's first feed, minister to the body. That's our primary agenda. If we get around to message, okay. Three, social concern and evangelism are equal in importance. Is that social concern and evangelism are equal in importance? I know you're thinking this way. Well, if I feed them, that takes care of the body. But if they don't get saved, they can go to hell. Yeah, but let's say I'm going to feed them while I evangelize them. Could you do that? I've told the story before about E.V. Hill. I was at a pastor's conference, and Hill pastored in Watts during the rioting and during all the racial strife down in the L.A. area. And what he did, uh, he set up in every block that he could in Watts trying to keep the place from going up in smoke. Uh, he set up kind of uh, places where they would feed, kind of like a soup kitchen, they had places where uh, the poor there could get clothing. Uh, and they he just kind of took it by blocks. It wasn't a central rescue mission. but he, And there's people in his church that lived in that block. They'd open their home, and they'd help people like that. But one of the prosperity preachers in uh, L.A. was meeting with him one day and said, Hey, Hill, I hear you've got this soup stuff going on, and, and you're feeding, and you're clothing. He said, what in the world are you doing feeding the devil's children? Ed Hill, who grew up in a single-room log cabin in Sweetwater, Texas, and his mother put him on a trailway bus and a set of bib overalls and 20 bucks. He knew something about poverty. 
He said, well, sir, he said, I figure I need to keep them alive until we lead them to Jesus. You've got to keep the devil's children alive long enough to evangelize them. They're dying. They've been beat up in life. And all the religious folks are going by the other side, pass by. We're too busy going to another Bible study or prayer meeting. The priest and that Levi said, I thought you were supposed to be merciful. We gave up mercy. We're religious. He said, let me tell you about what mercy does. Mercy gets involved. I left palaces to reach you. I'm not asking you to do anything I haven't done. The son, God the son. He's not asking you to stoop any further than he stooped to get you. I said to get you. The Savior reached way down for me. And sometimes I don't sense that in some Christians. There's that self-righteous, pharisaical spirit that kills me when I'm around it. It's lethal. It's self-righteous Christianity. It's not, I receive mercy. I'm an object of mercy. Did you know that in Ephesians 2, he said in the ages to come, he is going to display his saints as in a trophy case and point to angels and say, this is what grace accomplished. They're in my trophy case for all eternity. Not what works accomplished, what my grace accomplished. I'm going to advertise it for all eternity. Well, fourthly, evangelism is the primary function and ministry of the church. Mercy is necessary but secondary. And finally, social concern is not the job of the church. Leave it to Caesar. And we'll cuss Caesar because we don't like him. No, no, no. That's why we got an agape fund. When this church first started, a bunch of Greg Hirschman was here in those days, and we got a few others, but just a lot of young people, a lot of young people, uh, 18, 19, 20, uh, hair, go, well, you never know. I mean, they, they were the Berkeley hippie crowd kind of thing. Uh, drugs, sex, and, and the 60s. It was just that. Okay. Just saved many of them. We used to have money circulate all the time in this church because if any need got out, someone needed tires, someone would buy it. Maybe a couple guys would go in, they'd buy them tires. Or a gal needed this, they'd do it. And, and nobody taught them to do it. Nobody, and, and nobody asking, do I get a tax credit? Everything was, man, money was going everywhere. And what was amazing is young believers spontaneously started caring for one another. They just, they wanted to help. They wanted to help. See, generosity is the work of the Spirit in the heart. And uh, I pray that uh, you'll learn, and I will learn, as I'm convicted by this message myself, because of my lack of social concern, uh, is that the agape fund starts in your heart, not in your pocketbook. And uh, don't ask what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for the church and for those. Take it, make it your responsibility. 
We can have people dragging in all the things we ought to be doing. I ask you, what is God wanting you to do personally? What is God asking you to do? We have a story. We used to have a man in this church, Fred Griffith, one of the nicest men you'd ever want to know. And Fred, that was Frank Griffith's father, came to, came to this state back in the early 30s. He was a preacher's son, Oklahoma boy. Came out here like many of those men did, like, like on two or three dollars, hitchhike, Route 66. And uh, he got as far as Arizona and no further. And all of a sudden, the guy pulls up with a big fancy car, gives him a lift, gets him out of that sun. I believe he brought him all the way to, uh, I think it was L.A. He got that far, but got him out of Arizona, got him through needles and come on and up the state. And when he's letting the kid out, just a young man, when he's letting the kid out, <clears throat> about 1930, 31, he hands Fred a bill. I don't know how much it was. Handed him a bill. And Fred said, oh, oh, son, you can't leave. I got to get your address. I got to get it. He said, why? He said, I'll pay you this. I'll pay you back. As soon as I get a job, I'll pay you back. And the man said, oh, no, you won't. He said, just keep passing it on. Keep passing it on. And Fred my brother and I know. If you went to lunch with him, you could not pay. He said, I've got it. I've got it. Fred, no. I think I always said yes, but some would say, no, no, no. Because all of his life, he would say, I'm just passing it on. I'm just, all I ask you to do to be happy is be generous and pass on the kindness and mercy of God. I don't care if they're saved. I don't care if they're Buddhist. I don't care if they're white, black, brown, yellow. I don't care. You will not waste your money helping one of the children of God made in his image. Not born again. We're image of God bearers. All of us are. I don't care. I don't care. The human race needs mercy, and they often see it through a human being, you, you.